Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina On the Beat. I'm one of the hosts, Tommy Ashley. That's John Bowman. Adam Smith, of course. Jeremiah Holloway, of course. Responsible by Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. team down the road play and every time i turn it off michigan state closes the gap and every time i turn it on the gap gets bigger so i'm going to turn it off and concentrate on you guys i happen to notice that uh colgate was about a minute or two minutes away from beating syracuse too the gate a little battle up there in new york state college basketball i is it just me or, or or is anybody else having a hard time getting into it here ahead of or while football is still somewhat relevant it's a lot going on (laughs) definitely a lot going on jeremiah uh let's talk about what's going on this week north carolina ventures into the valley of death which is at clemson on saturday afternoon it's been an interesting press conference week let's start with the coaches um Fatigue is a factor, or is fatigue not a factor? Seems to be a very uh, distinct line there. Uh, what's the what's the equal sign with the line through it? Yeah, yeah. With Max talking and with Gene's talking, I found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say uh, I, I wouldn't say if that was the the handoff or, or anything. Uh, yeah, no. Um, well, I think first of all, um, when we were kind of talking, we were asking about fatigue, you know, this week, and we're asking about, uh, you know, the, I guess, wear and tear of these guys as they progress, in, uh, you know, throughout a game, uh, particularly in the in the fourth quarter. I think, okay, a few things with the the way they respond. I think with when you think about fatigue, it's something that does play a factor, but if you are a, a coach or if you're a player, you're not trying to use that as, like, an out. So I think from their perspective, they don't want to make it seem like, hey, you know, we're tired, we're gassed, and this is why we're blowing these leads uh, or whatever the case may be. They don't want to obviously present it in that way. But I do think like on top of that, when you look at the, the fact of the matter, um, the linebacking core of Cedric Gray and Power Eccles, they talked a lot about trying to rotate those guys. They talked about it last year when I wasn't here, and they've talked about it a lot since I've been here. And it just doesn't – it's not something that happens. Uh, a lot of times it's kind of a flow of the game thing. You don't want to take Cedric Gray out of the game because you feel like he's, you know, obviously your best option. And you same thing with Power Echoes. Like, you're not wanting to necessarily take those guys out of the game. But what it ends up doing is, you know, they're they're out there longer. And, you know, they're just throughout the course of a game. It's just, you know, their, their productivity, it's not quite the same. I mean, Cedric Gray was talking today about how, like, he'll play a whole game off of just adrenaline. And he, and he definitely does that. But then he said that after – after the game and like kind of going throughout the week, he ends up kind of being tired and like in practice, he ends up being, uh, ends up being tired. So, uh, but they've talked up guys like an Amari Campbell, um, some of the things that they're going to be able to do. So I think there's going to be some series where they're probably going to need to look into at the beginning of the series or whatever, putting a player like that in just to kind of give some relief to these guys. Cause if you feel like these guys are capable, is Clemson week the, the week to do it? I don't really know just based on the hostility of, that crowd and obviously the talent on that team, but 
I mean, at some point sooner or later, you're going to have to be able to figure to get these guys in there. Like you've been able to do on the defensive line, you got to do it with the linebackers as well. Well, I, Tommy and John, I think what Jeremiah is saying so uh, kindly and eloquently, um, <laughs> I'm picturing – see, we, we have a situation here, like Duke, Michigan State's playing, obviously. We have Dancing with the Stars is happening tonight, which is big for some of the people in the house. I don't know if anyone knows. It's Whitney Houston night. I didn't know that until about 8.05 p.m., but um, Taylor Swift night is next. But So I said Jeremiah's dancing around a little bit. Like, very nice. I would probably give him an eight or a nine if I was a judge. <laughs> Hold I on just a think, I just think that there's just so much contradictory stuff that came out. There you go, DA. That's awesome. Uh, I, I sadly admit I've watched that show too much. Hey, man. Not recently, though. You know, you got to keep everybody happy. Um, <laughs> I just think there's so much contradictory stuff that, that came out that came out of there Monday. And, and like Jeremiah was talking about Amari Campbell and – getting guys in there. I just think this that's it's just been so contradictory. Like we we've heard that for so long that you got to get Cedric and Power a breather. And Omari Campbell's going to be a great player. Um but it just hasn't happened, you know? And and um God, I mean, you know, it's interesting like the question to Mac on Monday was what do you think cuz you know he might have very well sort of shoveled it over to the court. You know, we got the coordinators coming up next. They'll they'll get into the nuts and bolts. But the question was, what do you think has been the issue in these fourth quarters in these recent ACC games? And he said, and he said, as we all very well know, I have to think it's fatigue. I have to think we're wearing down. I have to think we're getting tired. Well, half hour later, here comes Gene Chizik. We asked him about it, and he says, you know, I don't like that, I believe was the direct quote. Um I think that's just an excuse, which clearly that's what he thinks. But in terms of a perception uh, and a message, an overall messaging, it contradicts. You got the head coach and the defensive quarter contradicting each other on this. And then the we're going to get Cedric and Power you know, a couple some breathers. That's contradictory too because it just hasn't happened. It has not happened. Um, so that was just what I just to add to Jeremiah. You know what he's laying out there. I just. You know, I just feel like that's what if you're a UNC football fan or observer, you sort of these first couple of days of the week, that's what you've thought. Like these guys aren't on the same page of what they think the issue is. And you, you, I don't know. That's that's just at least how I have sort of heard it and received it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, at least the public uh, airing of it, for lack of a better way to put these press conferences, sounds like they, they're not on the same page. Maybe they are behind the scenes. Uh, clearly. Uh, Mac has said things repeatedly to us on Mondays and they haven't happened on Saturdays. So something there is an issue. The bottom line is, is in the last four P5 fourth quarters, they've given up something like 65 points and 750 yards in what is essentially a game's worth of football. And it's either they're dog tired at the end of the game and that's happening or and this is an interesting dynamic, and we probably talk about it all night, is the first and third quarters they seem to do well. So they so they go in with a good plan, and then midway through the first half, the other team adjusts to that plan and has success. And then they go in the half, and they adjust to that, and then the other team adjusts on the fly and dominates the fourth quarter. That's at so, least how it seems. You know, it, like 
I mean, look at how the Georgia Tech game went where Haynes King and those wideouts, they threw it all over the place on them in the second quarter to get back in the game after UNC looked like they might just walk the dog on them uh, when they got that early lead. And so I think, you know, King threw for something like 250 yards in the first half, come out, and you know what happened in the fourth quarter with the running the ball, what they ran for 246 in the fourth quarter alone. So, yeah, that's that's how it seems from, you know, from yeah. a thousand-foot view. Yeah, you're either – you're either not getting them prepared during the week to have stamina late into the game or, or through the weeks, or you're getting your butt out coached on the fly um, in these halves of football. It's one or the other. It's probably both, given 65 points and 700 and some odd yards. Um, but either way, it's got to get fixed or Clemson will have a field day. John B., what do you think? I actually think that connects well with the point I wanted to make around UNT special teams. Um, we were in the press conference, uh, Jeremiah, Adam, and I, after the game. And Adam asked a question about UNC's special teams. Um, and, you know, the question was around whether or not UNC is being out-schemed or what's going on there. And a critical play on special teams uh, against Duke came when Cedric Gray missed a tackle on, uh, I believe it was that uh, fake. Uh, I forget what quarter it was. But that, I think, speaks to it as well. You have these uh, guys, Cedric Gray, all the starters on defense. They're playing so many snaps out there. And then they're going out and they're playing special teams as well. And then they're also making potentially mistakes on special teams, right? Cedric missed that tackle. He admitted that. Um, He took ownership of that. But nevertheless, he, he missed that tackle. And I think that you're also maybe seeing some of that lack of depth then bleed into the special teams. Uh, UNC, by the way, uh, ranks, uh, let me get the number here, 43rd in S&P Plus in special teams. And I think that's a case where uh, sometimes the numbers don't necessarily pass the eye test. Uh, I saw that metric from uh, Bill Connolly uh, in his S&P Plus rankings this week, and I was like, that doesn't seem right. So I went over and I checked Pro Football Focus, and they do, I think, a lot more in terms of special teams grading. Uh, And what Pro Football Focus has is they have UNC as the seventh worst special teams unit in the country and the worst special teams unit by a Power 5 team. And I think that is something that jumps off the page to you if you're looking at, you know, this North Carolina football program right now uh, to have the special teams unit in that position where it's the worst Power 5 graded unit. Um, And there's been a lot of plays all throughout the season. Uh, that have negatively impacted the team. I think it speaks to the larger point that we're making here with lack of depth being developed. Uh, You have starters out there playing special teams, uh, important snaps and missing tackles. I mean, it's leading to a diminished product on defense and on special teams. So two out of the three, Jeremiah, two out of the three major phases of, of the game, defense and special teams, especially in the last month, month, six weeks or so, have rapidly decline for North Carolina. So does it turn around in the next two weeks? Can it turn around in the next two weeks? Tell them, Jeremiah. (laughs) I mean, I'm honestly, I'm honestly not sure. I mean, both of the weeks, that's going to be tough because the way Clemson's playing offense right now, I don't know that UNC is in a position to stop that necessarily. Like I think Clemson is, they're rolling. I mean, I know it's only been two games, two game winning streak, but I mean, they've beaten, uh, they, you know, dispatched of a Georgia Tech team that beat UNC, and then they also beat a 
a really good Notre Dame team. They've been up and down kind of in the rankings and just everything. But I think also what, what's been part of it is that Clemson has, uh, even on the defensive side of the ball, Clemson's actually been forcing a lot of turnovers as of late. And I know that's talking about UNC's offense, but that's just kind of another layer to it. Um, but I think like, Something just got lost in the in the defensive execution from the first six weeks of the season, uh, you know, all the way down to those two losses and even that Duke game. I mean, they were uh, I mean, I think they just kind of fell apart uh, a little bit. And I mean, we bring up the the fourth quarters of these last power five games. A lot of people kind of forget about the Miami game, how they kind of gave up some touchdowns late in that one. I mean, they won. So it's not something that we discussed a lot, but they gave up a couple late touchdowns and Miami finishes with. I guess the 31 points or whatever. So um, from a special team standpoint, I, I don't, I don't really see how it gets, how it gets fixed. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure how much they really even view that as a like crutch, you know, just because, I mean, you know, we asked about it the other day and, you know, obviously they'll, they'll bring up, you know, they're making all of their kicks, which they are. Um, and, you know, even some of the punt returns have been, you know, solid, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to, even when it's one-off plays, if you have enough of them, they're not one-offs. I mean, even when you're something as obscure as dropping the ball at the one off a, on a kickoff or, you know, the onside kick, that's the second onside kick you've actually allowed this year. Um, so with the special teams, I mean, I, I really do think that's a mess, just to be completely honest. Outside of Doyle Burnett being consistent, the special teams has been a mess, uh, and the defense is absolutely just, you know, something needs to change, uh, you know, defensively. And, you know, can that happen against a Clemson team that's rolling? That's hard to see. Can it happen against NC State? Yes. Uh, I think NC State is a team that, you know, maybe they can kind of – they've had – I just – their whole quarterback, you know, situation is just throwing me for a loop, I feel like. But uh, I don't know. That Clemson team is that Clemson team is absolutely rolling right now. And yet, as Michael Daniels in the chat posts, they're still eight and two, Adam. Jason Staples talked a lot about process versus results on Sunday. And got a lot of people's bloods blood pressure up in the process. <laughs> uh, you know, they are eight and two. Yes, you cannot deny they are eight and two without question. And regardless of who they lost to, they're two plays away from being ten and zero. You know, they probably could have lost the App State game and the Duke game pretty easily, but the fact remains that they're eight and two. Adam, it's an interesting setup there of how this season has been. It just it is to be rather than to seem because it wow. doesn't seem as good, and it it be good. On the face. I mean, you are in your creative bag lately <laughs> to be rather than to seem. Oh, Noah saves the heels. Uh, you're tight. I mean, my goodness. And uh, shout out David Klein. He is, gosh, the, your ears are sharp. That's exactly right. I was typing a little loud. Uh, that's this guy's got me scouted out here. Um, excellent work, David Klein. You sneaky, sneaky dude, you. Um, yeah, like they're eight and two. They can finish ten and two. Um, they could have a ten win season for the first time since twenty fifteen. Um, and ten ten win seasons have been scarce around UNC football historically. Recently, I mean, they have. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a simple task to get there to go to Clemson and go to NC State. Um, I wonder if, um, you know. <clears throat> 
offensively, some of the I'm not trying to change change the conversation from the defense. The offensive numbers are have been unreal, other than scoring in the red zone. You have a guy in Omar and Hampton who is like 14 yards out of the number one spot nationally in rushing. He's just, I mean, he's like he's one run away from being number one in the country. Drake May, number three in passing nationally. The two nice. dudes ahead of him are Michael Penix and Jaden Daniels. <laughs> like, I mean, it's interesting. It's fun, you know, how we write these we write these stories, Jeremiah and I, intern Evan, the whole crew. And, you know, like I, I always type ACC rushing leader Omar and Hampton, ACC passing leader Drake May. They are, you know, pretty nasty. Um, you know, I do wonder, like I was like I'm saying, what happens um if they're able to score enough at Clemson. Uh Clemson, as Jeremiah was alluding to, I think I'm pretty sure it was when they the first three quarters against Georgia Tech last week. And Georgia Tech is a pretty, pretty nice offense with Hayes King and all those speedy dudes. They had only given up five first downs and a hundred total yards to Georgia Tech through the first three quarters last week. You know, is what did Max say? Clemson's back to being Clemson or something like that. I'm not sure if that's true, but uh, you know, they're gonna need they're gonna need everything they every score they can muster, I feel like, uh, in Death Valley on Saturday. The the thing about and, and people say, Well, Clemson lost to NC State or Clemson has lost four games. That, none of that matters. And First Shipley all, was knocked out of that state game. You know, yeah. that that was one of those games, you know, he's coming back from the concussions, you know. Sorry, not to cut you off. But. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and those games were away. They're, they're yeah. undefeated at home, I believe, and they play different. But none of it matters. Like, college football teams, it's not like pros where the margin's so thin every game. In college football, momentum matters and all that stuff. And now Clemson's rolling. I still think North Carolina can, can win this game because of yeah. the guys you mentioned. Uh, you know, what's crazy about North Carolina's offense over the last little bit is Drake and Omarion are top five in the nation. I believe Michael Carter and Sam Howell were top five in the nation a couple of years ago. The only other school to do that in the you know the recent history is Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush <laughs> at USC. I mean, think about that. It's, it's insane. John Bowman, I'm kicking out the stats here now. You're supposed to have all those stats. I have one for you as well, Tommy. <laughs> These last two games, UNC is about to face some elite units. And what I mean by that is UNC has played some good teams this season. They've played some bad teams. They've played some average teams. But they really haven't played an elite unit on either side of the ball, in my opinion. You know, Looking all across the schedule, I mean, you look at a team like Miami, what makes them good is they're good on both offense and defense. But these last two games of the season present a really unique opportunity and challenge for UNC because they're about to face two elite defenses. The Clemson defense is ranked 14th in S&P Plus. Uh, their offense is ranked 37th, so that you know shows you they're good on both sides of the ball. NC State, though, they're ranked 16th in defense in the same metric, S&P Plus. So I think that's going to be a humongous challenge uh, for this North Carolina football team. Because it's one thing to go out and beat a team that's good on both sides of the ball, but it's an entirely different thing to go out there and try to conquer a unit um, that's really going to make things difficult for you. I think back to the end of last season as well, um, it just felt like Drake May was under siege at points in that part of the season against the Georgia Techs and the NC States that they played at the end there. 
Um, and I think this is going to be a really challenging time uh, for Drake May. He's going to face a lot of pressure, and he's going to have to elevate his play one level more. The whole offense is going to have to elevate their play one level more. Talking really specifically about the offensive line here uh, to keep Drake May clean and to help UNC compete against this elite, these elite defenses that they're about to play. Yeah, and then you look at this. Duke beat Clemson and State. Duke beat Clemson and State's butts. Yeah, like I, think, I said. I think Garrett Chapman makes a great – I mean, obviously we love Garrett Chapman anyway, but I think he makes a great point. I was thinking about that as John was laying it out. Like, that Duke-Clemson game, Clemson, how many turnovers did they have down on the goal line? I mean, they had some turnovers on the one-yard line going in. I mean, uh, Clemson, Clemson has been a turnover-prone offense – Cade Klubnick has not been Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, all due respect all around. And, and they're, they're susceptible. That offense is susceptible to turnovers. He's susceptible to turning the ball over. Now, he threw four touchdown passes against Georgia Tech last week. That's why we sort of feel like Carolina's catching them at a bad time. But they will turn the ball over. So, yeah, UNC absolutely could take advantage of some turnovers and put up some points you know, on some short field, sudden change things and, and and win the game. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. I just do think it's a challenging place to win. It's going to be an interesting take. Jeremiah, um, who on defense needs to step up in this one? You know, because you know, I thought against Duke, I thought the interior of the defensive line needed to be really good. Um, and they were. Miles Murphy probably played his best game as a Carolina player. Um but the edge guys didn't play well. Rucker didn't have a great game. And, of course, the safeties got beat to the outside a couple times there. So who for North Carolina against this Clemson offense? And to Clemson's credit, they have cut down on the turnovers the last two weeks. Um, but, Jeremiah, your take and Slagle, I'm not asking for the entire defense or the front six. I'm asking for one or two players. <laughs> Love you, Slagle. Uh <laughs> <laughs> One or two players to uh, to to who do you think needs to be those guys that step up here? I think it might be one of these safeties that needs to come down. That's not named Stick Lane. Well, I was actually going to say Kevin Rucker. Uh, reason being is uh, you look at a guy like Kate Klubnick, they do like to you know do a lot of design runs, things like that. But you also just want to be able to get pressure on him. Uh, you want to make life uncomfortable for him so he's not getting in a rhythm. Uh, a lot of times when the offense is able to get into a rhythm, that goes back to turnovers. The turnovers have broken Clemson's rhythm, you know, kind of in their in their losses this year. But if you allow, uh, you know, Cade to do what he wants to do, then it's just, I mean, that's going to that's gonna be a long night. Um, North Carolina's played some teams that have running quarterbacks that like to do design runs. So I think that's something that could uh, come into play. Uh, but the reason I say Cameron Rucker is because, I mean, you know, a few weeks ago, John had us, you know, uh, you know, trying to figure out if he's the best pass rusher in the ACC and, and, and things like that. Um, so I think he's one that obviously the best pass rusher on this team, they're going to want to look to him to, you know, kind of cause some havoc up there. Um, and I think that could go a long way. Um, his productivity actually could go a long way and then figure out this just this run defense. I mean, like, you know, they have to be able to win uh, that battle in the trenches. They have not been winning it. Well, from a defensive standpoint, they haven't been winning it. Uh, so, you know, that's some, I mean, he's he's one that's definitely got to step up. And then, yeah, you know, the second the, the safeties unit. Um, I know they're, you know, a unit, but like, I mean, they, they seriously need to. Uh, 
you know, kind of comes together as well, getting that, you know, being that second line of defense. I think Stick Lane's play, I mean, I feel like that's a name that we've been calling a lot more often. I feel like he's been, uh, you know, making a lot more plays as of late, uh, which is a positive for UNC. That's what they brought him in for. Uh, so I guess they're getting their return on investment as of late. But if I had to single out an individual player, I would say, uh, you know, Cayman Rucker, you know, do what he's been doing uh, so far this year. And I think UNC, that positions UNC uh, a little bit better uh, for Saturday. Here I come to Slagle's defense. <laughs> no, I mean, at, before he did list the entire front six, I was thinking as, as T.A. was asking Jeremiah the question, to me, and, and I don't, I'm not saying I'm right here because I've been wrong a million times in my life, but to me the answer is, sure, Rucker, absolutely, because you need your studs playing well in a game like this. You're, you're big – your big horses have to show up on a day like this. Uh, the stars have to shine. But I think it's the big boys on the interior. I mean, I think I I think this is a man's game. You know, like I think it's Miles Murphy, it's Kevin Esther Jr., it's Javari Ritzy, it's Tamari Fox, and then Power and Said. I think it's that those guys right up the gut because I mean, yeah. Will Shipley's a hell of a back. Uh, he's not a speed burner. I mean, he's got plenty of speed. And he can he can hit a home run if if the opportunity presents itself. And then Phil Maffa, if I'm saying his name right, I hope I am. The the other back is a bigger back. He's a big back. He looks like the uh, you know the big power back that Notre Dame has. Uh, what is his name? Estime, I think oh, his yeah. name is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these are bigger guys. These aren't these these guys aren't speed burners. Um, and I you know they run between the tackles, and I think that's that's where the UNC defense absolutely has to show up is. Someone has to – they have to plug these between-the-tackles runs. They have to not let it be second and three, second and four. You know, I just think that's where it is. I mean, sure, you want Rucker coming and killing Klubnik from the blind side, absolutely. And uh, you want Geo Biggers and Don Chapman coming down and, and cracking somebody. But I just – I think the big guys have to show up in this one. And Clemson's offensive line always is good. I mean, these are this is a physical – group up front i think it's about being physical at the point of attack and you know not letting the the two backs get loose mafa is not going to outrun you he's going to run over you yeah uh you don't want to tackle him he has that omarian vibe i think omarian is much more talented but he's he's powerful dude and uh yeah i mean shipley uh, i mean he he can he can hit a home run but he's not he's not gonna you know tyree kill you to death so I think it's the big boys. John, I'm going to share this, share my screen before I uh, kick it to you. North Carolina up to 20th no. in the college football playoff rankings. Imagine you want to get some folks some indigestion up. Imagine not losing to Virginia. Georgia Tech is four team. spots. That's four up, spots. That's four bad. spots to the 20th position in the nation. John, lead us to break, man. You're the expert these days. Well, Tommy, it has never been colder in Chapel Hill, it feels like. I am opening up the closet every single day. I realize I need a new jacket, so I'm going to head over to Johnny T-Shirt. I'm going to get some new gear. You can either check them out on Franklin Street uh, in their in-person store. You can uh, head over there if you're headed to Franklin Street for a basketball game sometime this season. Or check them out online. Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get 10% off their order. 
Uh, so be sure to support Johnny T-Shirt because they sponsor this podcast and all of Inside Carolina's podcasts. After the break, we're going to come back with a little bit more football talk, talk a little bit about basketball. And then if we've got some time at the end, I've got some stories from the field rush. Uh, so keep, oh. stay tuned for those as well. That could be fun to, to end the show. You're listening to On the Beat Live. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Oh, we got you, Tommy. You're muted. I'm muted because I was trying to stay out of your way because you bring it back in. Bring it in after the break. Let's go. Oh, man. Well, I (laughs) wanted to bring up a point about uh, the football season, kind of taking a step back. We've talked about the fact that they are 8-2 this season um, and kind of like what does success look like for this team? Uh, it's something that we talked about before the season started. What does it look like to make a good use of Drake May's potentially final season here in Chapel Hill? So I'm going to throw something out here. I want to get you three to, to react to it. I think there is a very clear goal and a very clear way that UNC can end this season with a successful season. And I think the goal should be let's see if UNC and this football program can get to 10 wins. And I think that You know, if you were to accomplish that, something that has only been done once in the past 25 seasons, basically once since I've been alive, I think that this could be a football season, even though everything uh, that's happened this year with some of the tough losses, with some of the defensive and special team struggles, I think getting to 10 wins would be a tremendous accomplishment. And you would have to look at this season as a success. And you have essentially three shots to do it here, obviously. Uh, with the ACC championship game all but out of the picture. Um, you know, you have the bowl game where, you know, you don't know who may or may not opt out, but I'm still going to give UNC the chance to get that 10th win in the bowl game. Do you think that getting to 10 wins, winning two of the last three would constitute a successful season uh, for UNC? And that's answering Lewis's question. I think there's a tremendous amount of stuff to play for still because I think 10 wins would be that big of an accomplishment for the football program. Go first, Adam. I, I think it's. I think there's a ton, a ton left to play for program wise. John, not to be a smart ass, but I don't know if that's really Lewis Bass. Uh, you might want to get on the Google machine there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I saw do, it on the internet. It says it's so it on funny the that I do that because I was thinking in my head. I, we need to love John up. For those that don't know, John came out of retirement a little bit during the weekend. Ultimate team player. I mean, mm-hmm. I love John as a person anyway, but he filled in for uh, intern Jalen, our, our video guy. Intern Jalen was in the homecoming court mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. I saw that. In, 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 in UNC. Here comes Johnny. He's got his vest on. I mean, he was ready to go. He had his sweater. He had his vest. He had the good pants on. Came up to see us in the press box. So, Shout out to John, even though I'm heckling him again. Uh, he did great. I mean, he was in there. It's 1 a.m. and we're doing mm-hmm. these post-game interviews, which is a time when you sort of ask yourself, what the heck are we even doing here? <laughs> I mean, I, I literally press record at 1.01 a.m. for Cedric Gray. And I'm like, 
what the hell are we doing here? You know, like uh, it was a long night, but but shout out to John, even though I'm, you know, uh, uh, Lewis Bass is back in the chat. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was the question? Is 10 wins successful a success? Yes. Yeah. Would that constitute a successful season? Is that something worth playing for? Yes, it's worth playing for. Absolutely. Because that means that what you win two of your final three, right? Yes. Uh, you win two of your final three. They're going to play in a bowl game. Um, they're not going to play in the ACC championship game, um, but they're going to play in a bowl game. I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of bowl they end up in. I mean, you could end up in a pretty good bowl. I don't know if the Pop-Tarts bowl is getting anybody excited, but um, yeah. Do you I prefer Cheez-Its Cheez yeah. or Pop-Tarts? Right. Yeah. Pick your snack. Or Depends your on when this, when, what time's game start. If it's a, if it's a, if it's an 11 o'clock game, I like pop tarts. <laughs> Stupid. We're running yeah, 11, the 11, they did play at 1130 in the Mayo bowl a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Wasn't that 11 o'clock start? Mm-hmm. Um, that was the COVID weekend that we all caught COVID did a live show down there and then sat in the rain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was there for that one. It wasn't a good game either. Um, obviously, uh, but yes, I would say so because that means you've beaten uh, either Clemson and NC. You've beaten one of Clemson and NC State or both. Um, you know, I, I, going to NC State and winning is not going to be an easy proposition. Um, even though I think they're kind of a mess in some ways, that defense is really, really nasty, and they are going to be fired up beyond belief. Peyton Wilson could get seven 15-yard penalties, personal fouls. I mean, <laughs> he could be head hunting like never before. They are going to be on fire in Raleigh uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so, yeah, I would say, I, I, to me, I'd say at this point where they are, even though it's not where they wanted to be, I think you got to call a 10-win season a success. It'd be kind of crazy not to, wouldn't it? Yeah, that that is my issue with folks. It's where I do agree with Mac. And I disagree with Mac that you don't adjust expectations as the season goes. Um, because last year you're nine and one, nine wins is not enough if you're nine and one in October, and eight wins is not enough if you're at eight and two. But I've watched a lot of North Carolina football, and if if you win ten games a year at North Carolina, your statue's out there next to Charlie Choo Choo and the Ram. I mean, period. You know, and so I think ten wins is the they need to get the 10 wins for me to think it's been an overly successful season, um, especially given all the talent we've talked on the field. What do you think, Jeremiah? Uh, I mean, you've been around not as long as us old heads have. So so what's the, the new way of thinking of eight, nine, 10 wins as a successful season? 10 wins will absolutely be a successful season for a, a program like UNC. And I really just say, you know, just based off the, the previous history, you don't, I mean, as we've been saying, you just don't have a ton of them. But beyond that, I mean, you have to beat NC State. I mean, you've dropped the last two in excruciating fashion. Like, you have to get back in the win column uh, against North Carolina State. I mean, I think that's something that – I think part of the frustration with last year was, yes, you lost the last four games. But, I mean, you lost the State and you lost to Clemson. Matt Brown was talking about the importance of Clemson as a kind of a border rival. Um, That rival's – that rivalry has, you know, dissipated a little bit because they're not playing them as often. Um, I mean, they really have only played them a few times. I mean, they played them in a, a ACC championship game back in 2015, and they've only played them from that point on 
like three more times, obviously losing all three of those times. Like they just don't play them. Like they just really don't. Um, this is their first trip back in Death Valley in nine years. So I think part of there's still some opportunities to me for uh, even if it's not like a first time ever type history, like it's still moments for UNC to kind of have some historical moments. So it'll be your first 10 win season since 2015. It'll be your first win in Death Valley. Uh, I don't know if anybody did the reading. I'm not going to quiz you, but your first <laughs> win at Death Valley in 22 years. 1997. Um, no, no, 2001. It's when they beat the hell out of them. They beat them like yeah. 38 to something down there. Yeah, yeah. So Julius Peppers led uh, defense uh, went down there and, and ended up winning. It was like 38 to three. It was something. It was Woody Danzler, the, the great Woody Danzler playing quarterback yeah. for Clemson Tigers. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the bowl game, the bowl <laughs> game such a toss up to me. Like, obviously that would contribute to uh, your record, but like, it kind of seems like winning and losing a bowl game kind of just depends on who plays in said bowl game. Because uh, really, what it might do. Again, depending on who leaves, it could function similar to the end of the Campbell game. It could function as a tryout for some of those guys for next year. You know, like, you know, who's who are some of the returners that stood out in this bowl game that we can kind of go to, you know, next year? That might be how UNC is going to end up having to play it. Uh, but let's say you drop one of these next two games and you end up winning a bowl game. That's great because nobody's going to remember – if, you know, when they go back and look at how many 10-win seasons UNC has, they're not going to say, ah, oh, well, you know, they played a – I'm, I'm making up a team. They played a Tennessee team that didn't start, you know, their quarterback. You know, they're not going to say that. They're going to say this was one of their 10-win seasons. So, I would say the 10-win mark is something to play for and also snapping these losing streaks against Clemson at NC State. You, you know what's interesting? Um, and, and Nick Bailey in the chat, says can you explain the championship game scenarios look adam can do it for you i'm gonna make it simple it's it's blanked up you know i mean carolina has to win both games without question but go ahead adam that may and that may be already gone too but i was gonna read who uh nick bailey since he asked we worked this up i spent i spent about 90 minutes on this i think last thursday or friday uh i actually got a call from a very high placed uh, person in the UNC program, maybe the highest position, asking me if I could break down their scenarios. And I was like, sure, I can try. Um, but going into last weekend, this is what we had. Uh, and I want to read it off for Nick Bailey. UNC needs to win out and have Louisville lose at Miami or them for them both to finish six and two in the league. So UNC needs – this is going in last weekend. UNC also needs Georgia Tech, BC, and Virginia Tech to lose one more ACC game while winning out and having Louisville lose at Miami. If all of that happens, that would put Louisville and UNC tied for second place in the league and also both four and two against their common opponents, who are Georgia Tech, Pitt, NC State, Duke, UVA, and Miami. At that point, UNC would need Miami and Pitt to finish as high as possible in the ACC standings and Georgia Tech and UVA to finish as low as possible because win percentage against common opponents based on their order of finishing the league is the third layer of the tiebreaker formula. To that end, I think Miami losing at FSU screwed it up, even though this is obviously, uh, you know, you needed everything, every domino to fall, 
Right. Look at that. Look at that right there. And Twigs is right in the chat. Imagine winning out. Miami beats Louisville, and Carolina misses the championship game because Cristobal didn't take a damn knee. It's a fantastic, fantastic point. And you know, the other night when Virginia had a shot to beat Louisville, you know, this you find yourself in this position because you did not close out those games that should have been wins. And and you know, we're you know, you do this research and you get down to the third layer of the tiebreaker uh, because that's the position they're in. So I think if there's a path to where a bunch of teams finish five and three in the league, I haven't looked at that yet. There may be, but I don't think there is. I think it's, I think, I think it's out the window. Well, Louisville's only got one more conference. Yeah. Right. They play Kentucky, right? Yeah. They, they, they have Miami this weekend and then they play Kentucky. So they've only got one more ACC game left. Now, now orange bowl scenarios are a little bit different because Carolina could win out. Louisville wins out. Carolina would need Kentucky to beat Louisville, um, assuming Louisville gets to the ACC championship game. They need to lose to Kentucky, which North Carolina fans become SEC fans. <laughs> yeah, um, at that point, the last week look, of the season, it's about who the bowl finds. Wants. Mo- yeah, right. Most attractive, exactly. And, and who they find attractive, given who potentially could opt out. You know, and I just, I think they were. I don't think there'll be as many opt-outs as people would imagine if it was the Orange Bowl. You know, I, I don't see um, a quarterback opting out of the Orange Bowl, given what um, he talks about, his family and the ties to NC. Anyway, bottom well, line is... Don't, I don't think he would feel right doing it, but I, we have no intel on that. Yeah, no, no, didn't do it either, obviously. Yeah. I, I, and he takes some of his cues from Sam, so... That's yeah, a, absolutely That's a no great point. Uh, I mean, Sam is essentially a fifth may brother i mean drake is so close to <laughs> it's like sam. a beetle i hadn't thought about that but drake takes so many of his cues from sam and sam played in the bowl game he didn't have to play in the bowl game no. to be honest don't tell sam it may have been better for unc football program if drake had gotten some reps in that game or criswell but sam howell was a warrior and he went out there and he competed in his hometown in charlotte and that's a great point adam i'd expect drake may to take that cue and you know possibly play in the bowl game just like uh, Sam did. Yeah. You would you would expect Drake to say I just wouldn't feel right about it. Something that I think you know like I just I just wouldn't feel like he was talking about senior day. He just said you know he didn't feel right about sort of upstaging those guys. Yeah, but it, it is a but the bottom line what you mentioned or somebody mentioned if you just beat Virginia, none of these conversations or or if they still had divisions, Carolina would have mm-hmm. clinched the coastal. A while ago, it's yeah. just crazy, crazy times in college football, crazy times in uh, in ACC football. So, John, do you want to switch to basketball or do you want to tell us tales from the field? Because I walked down there, too, on Saturday. Um, oh, man. I, it was, uh, it was we need the hectic. tales from the field. Come on. Uh, let's, let's do tales from the field. It's on the beat live. This is yeah. getting uh, viewers a little bit of behind the scenes. Let me do congruity first. I'm sorry. It's- I always want to save it for last, but I'm going to talk about congruity right fast and step all over John's story time. Stay tuned for story time. North Carolina-based national coverage, local presence. That is congruity. Empowering small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing. That is congruity. Top of the line technology, top of the line customer service, and they can transform your organization. That is congruity. Do this. If you're a smaller business, small or mid-sized business owner and you're listening to this i know there's some of you out there because i've talked to some of you guys 
Go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Fill out that questionnaire. They'll connect you with a consultant and give you a free assessment if you're an Inside Carolina listener or viewer. They love Inside Carolina so much, they're going to give our viewers and listeners something for free, just like Johnny T-Shirt does on the other end. They give this to you, congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels, congruity, where you go to grow your business and take care of your people and get rich doing it. John, tales from the tales from the field, we'll call it. That's right. And this is this is on the beat live. So I've got some tales from the press box as well. I can share some of Jeremiah and Adam's secrets now because I've seen them working uh, into the wee hours of the morning. Um, but yeah, as we talked about, I was back on the sidelines uh, for the Duke game. Uh, I was the video intern for Inside Carolina back in the day. Um, and it's surprising to me how long ago that was. That was basically five seasons ago at this point. I was the video intern in 2017 and 2018, which if you're familiar with UNC football, not the two best seasons to be on the sidelines for from a team quality perspective. But uh, I, I obviously enjoyed that role uh, covering for Jalen. Um, before I go too deep into the story, I have to make sure that I get this uh, sign off from the chat. We can't tell Ben or Michelle about this because this has to just stay on On The Beat Live as a story just between us. But basically, I'm keeping I, secrets, John. I don't, I don't, you can trust me on this one. Yeah, we got I your get secrets. Out there, I get out there on the field and I've got my, my old camera that I was using and I've got my uh, camera battery. I'm shooting uh, the stuff pregame, you know, walking around the field. Uh, I see uh, Don Callahan, who, by the way, I don't know if people realize this. Don is the mayor of the pregame. Like he is the center of everything. All the recruits are coming up to Don, shaking his hand. Don is snapping pictures of all the recruits because he's known these guys for a long time. Uh, you know, he's also a big person in college football recruiting in, in college football recruiting in the state just because he knows all the coaches over all the years. So I'm chatting a little bit with Don. I go up, like I say, into the press box. Uh, to say hi to Jeremiah and Adam. And Jeremiah was super helpful showing me where the press conference is after the game. So I'm learning all these things. But I realize I have a problem as I'm filming pregame. My camera battery is not working. It is a complete disaster. I have a camera battery that says it has 120 minutes of charge. And it's dropping like way <laughs> too fast. Like it's going from 120 to 50 to 10 to like add a battery. So I go from enjoying myself, excited to uh, be able to take in the game from field level to pure panic right. where I'm trying to figure out, okay, how the heck am I going to record this game and record the whole press conference without alerting any of the authorities or missing any parts of my, my job here? So Terrifying. I did think about Terrifying. reaching out and just being honest and saying, hey, Adam, you know what? My camera's out of battery. I'm going to need your help with the press conferences tonight because you guys record them a, a great majority of the time, right? For the Monday press conferences and things like that. Um, but instead I concoct this radical plan where I have three batteries basically that I have in my pocket at all times and I'm rotating the batteries out, charging them. And then I'm kind of making a, a circular motion the whole time. It's like a, it's like the, the life cycle. I use it for five minutes go charge it, put the other one in my pocket. And I just sort of do that for the entire game. It's like a remote. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was, it was quite intense. It ended up working just fine. 
I got the press conferences. I was also very worried about the uh, post-game scene because Ben gave me an update or kind of communicated with me that if UNC won the game, I should do a victory bell type video, UNC celebrating on the field. Um, so all throughout the fourth quarter, I was kind of walking around the sidelines, figuring out, okay, what's the best way uh, to kind of take in the scenes here? Um, and I ended up kind of figuring out that maybe it'd be best to stick by the bell because I knew that they'd be bringing the bell out onto the field. Um, so while everyone else was in the end zone where the student section is, I sort of walked myself over to uh, the victory bell. I sort of sat there um, and that's where I sort of watched the end, uh, the end of the game on the video board. And if you saw my video uh, on Inside Carolina's uh, YouTube channel, I sort of basically did a two minute long cut of the victory bell walking onto the field, uh, being pulled uh, by some of the cheerleading support staff um, and kind of watching as Tylee Craft and Bryson Nesbitt and Cedric Gray, all those players uh, ran up to the bell. Um, and then one final element of this, did any of you three, did it cross your mind that there would be a field storm? Well, I, you know, I think those, it, it's sort of like an organic thing yeah. where like a buzzer beater in basketball, sometimes you just can't, you know, it just happens. You know what I mean? Like, so um, I, I don't think it necessarily crossed my mind. Although when you get to overtime, you know, you're going to have one of these like dramatic endings. So like the chances sort of, you know, ramp up. And the last game of the season, they usually let people on the field anyway to, you know, kick a ball around, take pictures and all that. So it made sense. It does crack me up seeing people twerked up sitting on their couch talking about, I can't believe they're storming field. Yeah. I mean, yep. we were we were in the and that's across the board in college sports and college football. Anyway, I'm running on the field every chance I get. I'm 50 some years old. In fact, we walked down there. Like I said, I was looking for you guys. Um, Y'all had already gone up to the safety of of the press conference room, but it was absolutely insane walking around down there. The vibe, though, but just seeing students and, and other people so happy, the players taking pictures. I mean, Mac talked about it. Mac cried about it in his you know press game on post game on the field. I mean, it meant a lot to a lot of people down there, and it was pretty cool vibe. I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, Clem Clemson will do it if Clemson beats Carolina, even if they lose to Carolina, they will do it. They yeah, will go beat it to Paul. Yeah, absolutely. But that was true. You know, it wasn't like a little half-assed, you know, thing where like the field was covered. You know, yeah. one you yeah. saw the photos. It was people. You know, you weren't seeing like a little bit of grass here and there. You got, you know, Drake may need security to get to the ACC network set. You know, like that whole that whole deal. Yeah, just, and I. I really didn't – it never crossed my mind at all. I didn't really realize how big the field storming was until I left the field, and I kind of stood up at that top level of the student section, and I looked back, and it was, like, shocking. I was like, wow, this was a major field storm. Uh, everyone was really excited about the game. Um, you know, it's not – even when you're kind of in the field storm, because I was one of the first people on the field with the victory bell, you don't really realize it uh, until you take a step back and – there's a cool video on the Inside Carolina uh, Instagram page as well that Michelle posted of kind of showing the field storm, I think, during the fight song or something like that at the end. So it's quite the night uh, for UNC football and quite the night for me in my return uh, to the video intern position. Yeah, I posted the link to John's video in the chat here. If you haven't seen, go to the Inside Carolina page. Um, I posted the, the beginning, the, the run out with all the fireworks. 
somebody saw my pictures from the fireworks pregame and said it looked like a Gaza airstrike. I mean, those pictures are pretty insane as much as those. And then the postgame with the nuts on the field. It, it's pretty awesome time in Chapel Hill. So let's close this show with a question. And Jeremiah, I'm going to start with you first because you're the one that brings the most reason of late. <laughs> no offense to Adam and John. None taken. <laughs> Hunter Pierce. Oh, who, man. who has more uh, wins after 12 games this year, UNC basketball or UNC football? <laughs> Let me find um, <laughs> I will say before I answer it, um, just kind of, again, I guess reasoning it, right? Um, football – uh, obviously, you're you're a lot closer to that 12 game mark, and then these next two games, like John has explained, you know these defenses are are very tough. Uh, basketball, I think the wrinkle with that is that there are two games in their schedule in which they do not actually know who they're playing. So they are playing Northern Iowa to begin that Bahamas tournament, and then they don't know who the next two teams are. Um, in those first 12 games, I actually was kicking around and or kicking it around and, and kind of looking at it. In those first 12 games, you have Tennessee at home. You have UConn in New York. Uh, Kentucky's in there, I believe. Oh, yeah. You have, you have Oklahoma. You have Kentucky. <laughs> you have Kentucky in Atlanta. Uh, I'm actually going to go, and it's close. I'm going to go with football because I do think that UNC in football is going to take at least one of the next two. And with basketball, I'm not totally sure that with Kentucky, uh, UConn, and some of those potential teams in the – obviously Tennessee and some of those teams potentially in the uh, in the Bahamas, I'm just not quite as sure. So I'm actually going to say by a slight margin, I'm actually going to say football. Football. Football gets more wins after 12 games than basketball. And, Adam, before you go, Carolina would see either Villanova or Texas Tech, depending on if they win or lose yeah. against Northern Iowa. And then the rest of that bracket is Arkansas, Memphis, Michigan, or Stanford. Yep. So, Adam, who you got? And Taylor's in the chat. Taylor Vapolis is in the chat. Taylor, the question is, more wins after 12 games, basketball or football this year? Chime in in the chat. Go, Adam. Just make a little video, Vip, and send it to us. We'll post it on the site. <laughs> uh, get in front of your uh, Raiders paraphernalia and all that and uh, break it down, baby. You know what? I'm going to say football as well. Um, and we know that I'm a self-professed kind of a basketball guy. Um, yeah, like this, this schedule this, – this schedule, uh, the schedule for football is not a cakewalk to finish this thing. But, yeah, we went through it. I mean – Tennessee in Chapel Hill is going to be a tough game. Uh, Rick Barnes coming back to Chapel Hill. That's yeah, they could play Villanova. Villanova. They could play Villanova and Arkansas. You could play Memphis is playing well in basketball. They beat the living crap out of somebody the other night. Michigan, you know, you could play. Uh, UConn in Madison Square Garden, I do not think is going to be, uh, you know, a walk in the park. It's not going to be a walk in Central Park. Kentucky and Atlanta, yikes. Um, and then the last two games in that 10-game stretch are Oklahoma and Charlotte, and they play Charleston Southern. 
So I'm going to say football. I, I, I will say I, I think Jeremiah, again, is smart by saying by a slight margin. I think that's a great way to phrase it. Uh, very clever way to phrase it. I'll, I'll piggyback Jeremiah on that. And um, I'll say football. I'll say football has t- 10 what, – what is the question? Who gets – Who, who gets more wins after 12 games? I'll say football. So you got Radford and Lehigh are already in the books. you got UC Riverside, which you figure to be an easy win. Northern Iowa, um, they were good at one time, and I haven't done any work on them this year, so I have no idea. But you would say that's a win, so that's four. Yep. And then you've got College of Charleston – oh, excuse me, Charleston Southern, so that's five. And then the rest are solid. You have Leonard Hamilton and FSU coming to open the ACC play on December 2nd. Um, you know, I mean, I think UNC is better than FSU, but, yeah, this yeah. – yeah, this. This is not a uh, Sydney Low. <laughs> it's not a Brad Brown L. Let's be for the Wolfpack. Yeah, Clemson. Let's be thirteen and one going into ACC play. Finish fourteen and seventeen. You know, excellent that, point. Yes, that is a that is a potentially brutal basketball schedule. I'm gonna go with football too, and I think it's gonna be ten. I think it's gonna be ten for football, and I think it's gonna be twelve for or excuse me, nine for basketball. And uh, and if we want to throw in the bowl game, you know, I think it might be eleven for football. So that's a good question, though. Yeah, that's a great that. question. So um, we don't give out Johnny T-shirt swag for that question, like we do on Inside Carolina Live. But maybe I'll save it, and uh, maybe we can get Hunter entered in on Saturday as well. Anything left, John Bowman? We're gonna get out of here a little bit before the hour. Anything left from the producer? want to give a shout out to Taylor. He's in the chat. He just had a great first episode of his show with Joel Berry. Very exciting for Inside Carolina to have that show uh, with Taylor and Joel. So check that one out if you haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, I mean, how what it, how ridiculous is the content at Inside Carolina? Uh, I mean, you got Adam, Jeremiah, and Evan laying down the written content, just killing it. It's the best out there. Uh, I mean, you can't go anywhere else and get legitimately – um, objective, unbiased North Carolina reporting than those three guys. And then you've got Joel and Taylor doing a show. you got John Bowman not tooting his own horn with Justin Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a show tomorrow with Scott Forbes on the baseball end of it, Ooh. just to kick that in. And then you've got a ton of stuff going on from all the other podcasts and, and live shows we do. Just a great time to be at Inside Carolina. If you don't have a premium subscription, ask for Christmas. Let Santa Claus bring it. It'll be well worth Santa's trip to give you that stuff. But we're getting out of here now. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Shout out to Jeremiah and Adam and John. Shout out to Taylor in the chat. As always, folks, be safe. Come back and join us again. We're doing the game plan tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 9 o'clock, with Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, and yours truly. We'll be there. These guys will be in Clemson covering the game. It's just a wild time. Get some rest. Everybody be safe.